Good morning, Christ Central. Um, my name is Owen. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. And our first guest speaker for our missions month is Pastor Perrin Rogers. Pastor Perrin resides in Hydesville, Maryland, with his lovely wife, Sakithia, affectionately known as Lady Key, and their four energetic sons. He has pastored the Triumphant Church of Mount Rainier, Maryland, since 2012. The leadership baton was passed on to him from his father, Pastor Emeritus T.L. Rogers, who planted the church in 1987. Uh, Pastor Perrin is driven by a passion to encourage members of the body of Christ to grow into becoming disciple makers, as well as to connect and unite the local church with the community it serves locally, nationally, and internationally. Pastor Perrin holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in economics from University of uh, Maryland, College Park, and he has received his theological training from Capital Bible Seminary. Now, Pastor Perrin, along with his father, um, joined us last July for an event that we called an evening to listen and to learn. And he shared with us about what the experience of the black community was in the wake of the deaths of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd. And uh, to this day, it was one of the most powerful conversations that I've ever been a part of. And I'm so thrilled that Pastor Perrin is here with us today to preach to us God's word. So Pastor Perrin, would you come? and preach God's word to our church. God bless you, man. God bless you, brother. Thank you so I much. You. <laughs> Next time. <clears throat> well, good morning, Christ Central. It is a pleasure and an honor to be with you on today and to share with you and God's word on today. I am very grateful for the leadership here at the church that would allow me to serve in this way. And particularly, I um, kind of the true honor and a privilege that you, Pastor Owen, would invite me and entrust me with this opportunity. I truly count this a privilege, and I'm very grateful to be here on this morning. I'm also excited that my wife is here with me as well, Lady Key. It's good to have you here with me on this morning. Um, I have a lot of ground to cover this morning within a short period of time, and I'm, I'm going to stay within my allotted time. And so um, I'm going to jump right in. Um, it is difficult, though, um, as a black Baptist preacher, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King said that um, we, we have a tendency to be kind of long-winded and talk a long time. Uh, but today, that will not be the case. Um, so we're going to look to God's Word, and I invite you to turn your attention with me to the gospel according to Matthew chapter 25. The gospel according to Matthew chapter 25. <clears throat> and we're going to be covering the passage that begins at verse 31 and ends at verse 46, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to read a few verses. I'm going to pick up at verse number 37 and read to verse number 43. But before I do that, I do want to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Father God, thank you for today, for you giving us new mercies on this morning. And we do say, great is your faithfulness. God, I thank you for your faithfulness demonstrated in the work of your son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, for your finished work of not just dying for us, but resurrecting from the grave and the fact that you are coming back again. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that lives and abides in us. And Holy Spirit, right now, I need you to move as only you can. Bless this moment for your people, for us, as we look to your word. Allow your word to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path on this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, reading from Matthew chapter 25 begin at verse 37 and reading down to verse number 43 from the English Standard Version. It reads like this. 
Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. But then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. I was naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. This is the word of the Lord and for the people of the Lord. And we say thanks be to the Lord. I will title our sermon from this text this morning, To Be Continued, To Be Continued. For several reasons, our passage today is quite a fascinating passage to me. Not only is it one of Jesus' most vivid and memorable teachings, which includes the famous and often quoted line by Jesus, as you did to the least of these, so you did it to me. This passage is also the last teaching of Jesus that Matthew records before Matthew begins detailing the Passions event at the end of his gospel. The Passions events are, of course, the things that lead up to and ultimately climax with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, this is important to note because the last teaching that Matthew gives his readers to chew on before telling us about Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection has to do with how Jesus' disciples treats those of lowly estate. For those who read Matthew's gospel account, as Matthew begins to point us towards the cross and point us to look to Jesus as he becomes our substitute and being nailed to the cross and hung on the cross, what is to linger in our minds as we approach the cross is the significance that Jesus places on serving the least of these in our society and our world. And so what believers and disciples of Jesus are met with here is to consider what are we doing for those who are most needy among us, those who are the under-resourced, those who are often overlooked. What are we doing for them? And by positioning this teaching where Matthew does in his gospel, Matthew is underscoring the importance of Jesus' teaching here. He is highlighting that this teaching is not something that we should take lightly. Because what we do in response to the gospel is just as significant as what we believe about the gospel. But let's take note of how Jesus leads us into this teaching. Jesus begins to teach us about the significance of serving the least of these by setting the scene of what it will look like at his second coming. Listen at how Jesus describes in verses 31 through 34 what it will look like when he comes again. He says in verse number 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And there he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, some of us might think that this is an odd, obscure, and even ominous way to begin teaching on the significance of serving the least of these. 
But it is important to know that Jesus is not just trying to use a scare tactic here to get us to do the right thing so we will make it into heaven. In fact, just the opposite is true, y'all. Jesus, he is describing his return and even judgment day here. As he's describing it, it isn't a day that he wants us to be alarmed by or even frightened by. But rather, he describes the day as a glorious day. It is a day that he wants us as his disciples to look forward to, to be excited about, to long for with great anticipation and expectation. Because indeed, y'all, when Jesus comes back, that's going to be a glorious day. I don't know about you, but I can't wait for that day. And oftentimes, we tend to think about Jesus' return in a fearful or dreadful way. But that's quite the opposite of how we should actually feel about Jesus' return. It's likened to the story that Reverend Dr. Gardner C. Taylor, who I believe is the greatest black preacher to ever preach, he tells a story of his daughter, he and his daughter, Martha, as one day they stood at the back of a great sanctuary. And it was, it was really dark in that sanctuary, and they were facing the altar. All of the lights were out except for one candle that was lit at the front of the altar, behind the altar. As they stood in the back in the shadows of the sanctuary, his daughter Martha, she edged closer to her dad and she said to her dad, Dad, I'm afraid. He told her, we're we're in God's house. There's no need to be afraid. So they began to walk forward and they got closer to the light at the front of the altar. And as they got closer, his daughter leaned over to him and said, I'm not so afraid now as we get closer. See, yes, fear ought to grip us when we are far away from God. But as we get closer to God, we see not a frown on his face, but we see a smile on his face. His fists are not clenched as we get closer to him, but they are rather outstretched welcoming hands. He wants us to come close to him, to speak with him, to fellowship with him and commune with him before his gracious and glorious throne and to share with him the inmost desires of our heart. Y'all, the presence of God is not a dangerous place. It is a safe and pleasant place for those of us who love him. In fact, the scriptures say that in his presence there is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And see, as believers in Jesus, we should long to see Jesus. We should long to see him as chapter 24 says, coming clothed in all of his majesty, riding on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, with all his angels being sent out at the trumpet's call because they're going to gather his people. And then we're going to see Jesus sitting on his glorious throne. Oh, wonderful day that will be. But not only is Jesus setting the scene of a glorious day, but it's clear that Jesus is also giving a glorious invitation here as well. Listen to what he's going to say to those who are on the right side. In verse 34, it literally says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Here are the words of a gracious and glorious invitation. It is to be with him and the Father eternally and for forever. And notice when he says, he says, inherit the kingdom. It is an invitation to receive the kingdom not based on our works or our merit, but based on Jesus' work and what he has accomplished. Because to inherit something means to gain and receive something that you have not attained or achieved through your own effort. 
And those on the right side, they will inherit the kingdom. They will inherit the kingdom because it's been prepared for them from the foundation of the world. Prepared means God has been busy at work on behalf of us. Since the foundation of the world, he has had his children in mind. You and I who believe in him, he's had us in mind, and he's been busy at work. He's been making arrangements and making preparations for us, preparing for our eternal entrance into heaven. (sighs) The last verse of that famous hymn, it says it oh so well. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found. I want to be dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. And as Jesus sets the scene of this glorious day, when we will all be before his throne, while it isn't a day that we should dread or fear as believers, it is a day that we should take seriously. Because there will be some surprises on that day. When Jesus comes, he's going to separate his sheep from the goats. And there will be some who will not be welcomed in. I pray today that if you do not know Jesus, that you will say yes to him. Repent of your sins and believe on him so that you can be welcomed in and not thrown into eternal hell. And so we learn here that if we're going to understand and see the significance of serving the least of these, that we're going to have to take Jesus's glorious return seriously. We've got to take his return seriously. We have to know that he is indeed coming back again. But after setting the scene of his glorious return in verses 31 through 34, Jesus then goes on to describe What will have characterized the people who do inherit the kingdom? He tells us that those who are welcomed in, they will be the ones who saw people that were hungry and fed them. They will be those who see the thirsty and give them a drink. They will be those who see the stranger and welcome them. They will be those who see the naked and clothe them. They will be those who go to see the sick and those who visit those in prison. See, here he is describing the makeup and the mindset and the outlook of those who will make up the kingdom. They are folks who not only can they see something, but they see to do something about what they see. And of course, Jesus contrasts these people against those who are not of the kingdom. Because those who are not of the kingdom are those who saw the same thing. They saw the same needs, but they did nothing about it. My wife and I, we have four sons, and one of our sons, it baffles us how we can tell him exactly where something is. We'll tell him, go there, look in the cabinet. It's on such and such shelf right there. And when he goes and looks, he doesn't see it. And he comes back and says, I didn't see it. But then when we go to the exact same place and look for the exact same thing where we said it was, lo and behold, it's right there in front of our face. In our tradition, we used to say if it were a snake, it would have bit him. Well, that's how Jesus contrasts the heart and mindsets of those who are of the kingdom versus those who are not. Those who are not of the kingdom, they turn a blind eye to the needs around them. They make no accommodations. They sacrifice nothing to attend to the needs of the less fortunate. 
And it is a picture of people who are so wrapped up in their own world, that they are so wrapped up in their own concerns, in their own kingdoms, that they become apathetic and indifferent to the plight of those suffering right around them. See, although they can see people in need, they look away and they do nothing. It is similar in thought to the priest and the Levite, Pastor Owen, who on the road to Jericho, they see the man who has been battered and bruised and beaten up and left on the side of the road after he has been robbed. But they pass by on the other side of the street because they're unconcerned and they have turned a blind eye. But on the other hand, those folk who make up the kingdom, they don't see, they don't just see the needy, but they see to the needs of the needy. They see to the needs of the less fortunate as well. See, this is the type of heart that those who are of the kingdom have. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said that life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? We all should wrestle with that question because what we also learn from this passage is that unknowingly, our service to the least of these is service to Jesus Christ himself. But notice that Jesus says that those who are of the kingdom, they are surprised to find out that they were serving Jesus. It is similar in thought to what is said in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. It says where it urges us. It says this. It says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. See, it is important for us to get this because we can be serving Jesus and not know it. This is important because we can be sure that those who serve in this way, they're not serving to merit or earn salvation. They were surprised to know that they had been serving Jesus. And so they weren't serving Jesus because they thought that that was going to get, that was what's going to get them into heaven. They were serving Jesus out of pure motives, not even knowing that they were serving Jesus. And so it clearly shows that their entrance into heaven did not depend on their good works. Rather, they served with pure motives. They didn't serve to get the light shine light, um, the light shown on them. They served because they wanted the light shown on God. And likewise too, we should serve, but not to merit salvation. Our service should be as unto God because we know that God has gifted us with certain things so that we can give them as a benefit to others. But we must also take special note that those who the passage says this about them. Jesus says that to, 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 the, to the folks on his left, he says to them, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, and go away into eternal punishment. Y'all, those are, they are those who aren't a part of the kingdom, not because what they have done wrong, they are those who are not a part of the kingdom because of what they failed to do right. See, church, this is a reminder for us that we are responsible for both sins of commission and sins of omission. 
So as you consider this month where you're on missions month and which happens to be Black History Month too, as you consider as a church this month the bountiful work to be done in missions, I pray you are spurred along to live as kingdom citizens here who are awaiting that day. Kingdom citizens who use our talents and our treasures because we want to hear our Father say, well done, my good and faithful servant, well done. That's actually the passage that comes right before the teaching that we have here in our text today. Perhaps doing this will disturb our comfort and our convenience. But you never know who might be the least of these among us that we can serve Jesus through. And I want to encourage you, don't don't wait for somebody else to do it. You do it yourself. Heed Christ's urging in this text and do it yourself. Have you ever heard of the clever young guy named somebody else? There's nothing this guy can't do. He's busy from morning to way late at night just substituting for me and you. We're asked to do this or we're asked to do that. And what is our ready reply? Get somebody else to do that job because he'll do it better than I. So much to do in this weary old world. So much and workers are few. Somebody else, all weary and warm, is still substituting for me and for you. The next time we're asked to do something worthwhile, just give this ready reply. If somebody else can give time and support, my goodness, so can I. Become a servant and watch what God will do for you because he can also do it through you. You'll discover it's more blessed to give than to receive because what kind of servant are you? See, I believe that this passage urges us to expand our concept of those who are hungry and thirsty and are in need of clothes. Because there is a tendency for us to miss the needy and the less fortunate right in front of our very own eyes. Or perhaps we do see them and we just turn a blind eye to them. I want to remind you that they are not those, the needy, the least among us, are not just those on the other side of the ocean or on the other side of the water, but they are also those who are, like we say in D.C., on the other side of the river. That's the Anacostia River, if you don't know what I'm talking about. They are those even that are at the border. Because an important note that we need to make from this passage is where it says that they welcome strangers. Stranger, that word stranger, is from the Greek word that we get the word xenophobia from. In other words, it is referring to the immigrant who we call illegal because they are different from us. But we are to be people who champion welcoming even those strangers into our midst as well. And let's not forget that we need to be visiting those who are sick. And let us not forget the need to serve those men and women who are made in the Imago Dei image of God that are in prison. They need the gospel and service as well. But as I conclude, I do want to say a word about the black church. You should know that the historically that historically the black church has been on the front lines of serving the least of these in our communities. It's been a part of the reason why we've gotten a bad rap for being um, touters of the social justice gospel. It's as if 
people try to suggest that the social justice is disconnected from the actual gospel. No, we have had a long understanding that what we do in response to the gospel is just as important as what we believe about the gospel. We have not separated orthodoxy from orthopraxy. And believe it or not, Pew Research confirms that the historically, historically speaking, the black church is the most conservative of all Christians. And we are most likely to believe that the Bible is actually God's word. And we are most likely to believe that hell is real. However, I will confess that while this is true of the church, the black church historically speaking, since its inception, there was a period in time that we strayed away from our responsibilities. In fact, I believe that it's because of the wane of the black church's concern for the least of these that organizations like Black Lives Matter rose up to the prominence with ideologies that we don't agree with. We agree that black lives matter, but we don't agree with all of their stances on morality and ethics and politics. But it's because the black church failed to fill those spaces that those organizations were able to rise up in the place of us. And in the past, the black church used to be the first people there when something went down. The black clergy were the first to show up and the quickest to serve and to help the least of these. And that's what we can learn from our civil rights movement. The black churches were always on the front lines of the civil rights movements. But when we are late to show up and other organizations rise up, it's something to catch our attention. And so this is where our title, To Be Continued, comes in. Because just like the TV shows back in the day, I don't know if you all remember these, but there used to be TV shows where they ended with this line, To Be Continued. And you would have to wait either the summer or a few weeks for that next episode to come. But I want to say that I can attest that there is a resurgence within, resurgence within the black church that is committed to showing up and serving the least of these. We are continuing from where our ancestors left off and we are picking up the baton and we will advance the gospel even in our black churches and in our communities. I could tell you of what my church is doing but that would feel like I'd be self-serving, and I want, I want you all to know that there are things happening and springing up all across our nation. And so I want to highlight what some other black churches and black leaders are doing besides just myself. People like Pastor Charlie Dates at Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago. At their church, they have outfitted a food truck, and they've called this food truck the benediction. They take food, clothes, blankets, laptops, and all other kind of blessings to those in need on the south side of Chicago. There are people like Justin Gibney who has started the AND campaign to help promote faithful civic engagement that addresses some of the needs and the issues that we see in our text. It is people like Lisa Fields who has started the Jude 3 Project and Pastor Eric Mason of Epiphany Fellowship Church in Philadelphia who both are working to teach urban apologetics while serving under-resourced communities. Or Pastor Tabidi Anyabile just across the river at Anacostia River Church, who through the work of the collective, he is working, they are working to establish gospel-driven churches in distressed and neglected black and brown communities. And one of my favorite is my own best friend, Pastor Joshua Simonette, who later this year will be planting a church in Baltimore. But before he plants he planted a nonprofit organization called Blueprint. Blueprint is working to disrupt the school-to-prison pipeline in under-resourced communities in Baltimore through education, experience, and excellence. 
And so listen, I want you to know that the black church is back on the front lines of this fight. We are continuing the fight to take the gospel and to serve the least of these. We have been in the fight for a long time and we are fighting right now and we're going to continue to fight because we believe that we will fight and that we will win for the glory of God. We still believe that we shall overcome one day. If I can close with the words of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on his last speech, as he was finishing out, he says, I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything, he says. I'm not fearing any man because mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord.